Hello, and welcome to the Harassment-Free Workplace Podcast. I'm April Turow of Navigating Integrity Associates. This podcast is for CEOs and HR professionals of small and medium-sized businesses to learn practical suggestions that can be used right away to address harassment in the workplace. We are committed to creating workplaces that work for everyone. Welcome. Hello, and welcome back to the Harassment-Free Workplace Podcast. I am your host, April Tarot. Today, we have a very special episode. I have been wanting to do this episode for quite some time, um, but due to legalities and a whole bunch of other reasons, it's been very difficult to find someone who is a complainant in a harassment slash sexual harassment case to come forward to tell their side of the story. And finally, we have the okay. So I really want to welcome Erin Alexanders to the show. Hello, Erin. Hi, April. How's it going? I'm good. I'm so grateful to have you here today. I I think it's really important to look at all sides of harassment and how it affects the workplace. And from your point of view, being the complainant, I want to dive right into what it's been like for you. So normally I sit and read a bio, but I would rather you tell me your story, if you can kind of put it in a nutshell, just so we kind of get the nuts and bolts of it so that our listeners can kind of understand where you're coming from. So Erin, what's your story? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah. So in, uh, in early 2020, I was subject to sexual harassment and harassment and actually an assault in my workplace. Um, in the federal federal public sector, and uh, it was a bit of a interesting reporting process uh, at the at that level. It's, there's a lot of um, a lot of avenues that have to be taken there, and so when I reported it, um, I expected it to stay at at the level where I could come back to a safe workplace after these incidents. Um, but it turns out that during the investigation process, I was actually terminated. Um, so I lost my employment wait, wait, during stop. the process. Hold, hold on. So you bring forward a sexual harassment and a sexual assault case, and you get fired in the process of the investigation. That's correct. Um, okay. Yes. <laughs> um, and that was extremely traumatic and surprising for me because the policy states, and I'm sure this is very similar across the board for most policies, that um, you have to still treat the complainant like an employee and they shouldn't be terminated during the process. So did they give, yeah, you, so that, did they give you a reason for your termination? Um, they say my employment ended, um, but the policy doesn't give any um, reason for them to terminate me. It strictly says a complainant cannot be terminated from uh, their employment while the investigation process is ongoing. So um, not, no, not, not, not contrary to the policy. No, they didn't really mm-hmm. give me much insight into that. Yeah. <laughs> My employment ended to them. Wow. Okay. Keep going. Yep. So yeah, so once I was, I did the first investigation, there were two investigations. I did one investigation 
just as I was terminated there. And that investigation actually got retracted. Um, there was a finding of sexual harassment, um, but the decisions were retracted. The, the investigation was not done per policy, um, according to the employer. And my, the first few incidents, the first two incidents that I reported actually were not formally investigated despite them telling me that they would be formally investigated. So, um, at that time, there's actually criminal charges against the respondent who assaulted me in my workplace. And so the second investigation started at around that time when the charges were, when that process was ongoing. Um, so that investigation ended this past summer and um, some findings came out in my favor. Um, but there is no indication that I'll be getting my employment back and there's no corrective measures that are going to be implemented in the workplace. Um, so that's kind of why I'm here. I think that my story can really impact employers and how they handle these incidents um, at any level, really. Okay. Yeah. So in a nutshell, you were harassed, sexually harassed and assaulted. Yes. It was investigated, then that investigation was thrown out, then it was investigated again? Yeah. You got terminated during the first investigation? That's correct. And so some findings were found in your favor, and then nothing was done about it? That's correct. Yeah. Wow. What a mess. Okay, great. Yeah. So <laughs> employers, don't do this. This is not Okay. <laughs> So I want to ask you, what's that been like? What, what kind of impact has that had on you? And, and I mean, other than obviously being terminated, but just what's that been like going through this? Yeah. So um, I come from a male dominated field um, and this is very heavily my experiences throughout my life. Um, I've participated in, uh, in, in various um roles where I'm one of the few females. Um, and it, it's been hard. I, it took me about 15 months to return to that type of work environment. Um, so it's just been extremely traumatic. The victimization, the gaslighting, saying we didn't violate policy when, you know, it's right there and no support. Um, so they didn't offer any support. Um, the counseling that I did have on the go after all of this happened ended. Um, they, the employer makes sure usually that it's a short-term solution um, to the trauma inflicted on the complainant here in my case. Um, so I just felt totally alienated and it was, it was extremely... It was extremely depressing. Um, I felt alone. I know that I know there's other things, other cases like mine going on, but I still felt alone. Um, but at the same time, I knew I, I mustn't, I must, I must not have been the only one, you know, going through this, or I must not have been the only one going through this in the history of this employer. Um, so I was actually unionized as well. I was a unionized employee. So I actually didn't have support where I should have had the support from a legal standpoint and from a worker's rights standpoint. 
and fairness. That's why unions are there. So I actually had to hire my own legal counsel. And that in itself was traumatic because I was rejected several times because I'm a unionized employee. A lot of firms won't find it a conflict of interest to represent employees who are unionized. And so I found a lawyer who would, and um, she's been fantastic. Um, and she, she's been that legal advice for me and legal, um, the legal resources that I needed. Yeah. The resources yeah. that I needed um, to continue to pursue my case. It got to the point where I didn't know what to do anymore. Um, I knew what rights I had, but I didn't know how to, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to communicate with my employer about this anymore because I was just gaslit the whole time saying, mm -hmm. well, you didn't do this or that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so it was really traumatic and not many resources. I, I didn't really have many resources. So mm -hmm. it, it was just a very lonesome process. So where was the union in all this? Like, why were they not protecting you? Um, I think there's a, a pretty big gap right now, um, throughout Canada, actually with unions. I, I don't think unions have the same motivation that they do back in the sixties when, when unions became a big part of, of Canadian workers lives. Um, the union, they, they did file a grievance for me. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't necessarily the avenue I, I expected them to take. Um, they were apparently a they were apparently satisfied with my termination, um, which very, was <laughs> that took me months to deal with emotionally. I don't know how anyone could be satisfied with the way I was terminated mm -hmm. um, during an investigation. So, yeah, the union said that they're not going to represent me. From a legal standpoint, I asked them for some legal advice and that wasn't provided and the support wasn't there. Um, the union just kind of stopped talking to me after a while, which is when I decided to get legal advice from a, an external lawyer. So, yeah, so um, actually I filed an unfair representation claim against the union. Um, so... <laughs> so so much. I'm I'm sure we could talk forever about your case because yeah. there's so many so much that went wrong with it. However, yeah, this podcast is for CEOs, employers, HR specialists who are in charge of creating a safe work culture in in their workplaces. So, what have you taken away from this case that employers can use to hopefully have it not happen this messy in their workplaces? Yeah, so essentially the, the process was not conducted in a very trauma-informed way. Um, there were two, investiga two investigations. Um, the first one was, was botched. Um, there were, the, the, the employer was, very, was heavily involved in the process. And they were the ultimate decision makers. And there were parts of the investigation that actually would have ex probably exposed them for mishandling my case. And so I think that there was a little bit of bias before the process kind of even started. So because A, I was terminated. So right there, they know that that's going to come up. 
and B, there, I, I asked for help after the first investigation. I asked for union support at the second one and I wasn't provided any support. And I was basically told you have to participate in this investigation or you're, you know, you're not going to have your story heard. So I was not, I was not in the headspace to be participating in that second investigation after everything that transpired in the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think basically, you know, bias processes can really amplify the trauma that complainants are facing. Um, All documentation should be considered, including any new allegations. And my, my investigate, one of the investigations got extended five months and the, the conclusion ended up being retracted. So I think that there needs to be some resources that the employer needs to seek during these processes if they don't feel that they are familiar with how to proceed. So there was just a lot of, yeah, a lot it, of employer making decisions the whole time. It's, it's so the trauma informed piece is so important because mm-hmm. if somebody has gotten to the point where they've come forward with a complaint, it takes mm-hmm. so much courage, especially a female in a very male dominated profession. Um, but even so any complaining to come forward, it usually takes a lot of courage. There's a lot of reasons why not to. So if they've come forward, there's probably already some trauma there. Not necessarily, like it, it might not be, but it's also a matter of, okay, if they've come this far, let's go in with a trauma-informed lens because the investigation can just cause so much more trauma if it's not dealt with appropriately. 100%, you know, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a traumatic process. The incidents themselves are traumatic, but the process of, and how the complaints are handled are make or break, a, you know, the healing process. 100 mm-hmm. percent and mm-hmm. now i'm dealing with not being notified of any corrective measures so that there's no closure you know i think it needs to be completed from start to finish you know the complainant needs to be involved 100 percent and and informed of things that are changing in the workplace to restore it restore it to a safe workplace mm-hmm. wow okay so trauma-informed process slash investigators for sure absolutely Um, So when somebody does come forward with a complaint, really listen, like listen to them. Don't get defensive and listen and be that safe space for them to come forward for sure. Okay. Second, second thing you've learned that you want employers to know and how to make it easier for complainants. Yeah. This kind of bounces off the first point. Um, Employers really should act as employers and impartial, not acting as respondents or defensive. That has been a huge part of my trauma. I feel like I'm communicating with a respondent. Got it. So, okay. So I need to ask, were your complaints against your, like the direct employer or were they, was it just other colleagues or? Originally it was, three separate coworkers um, who actually all confessed or partially confessed. Mm -hmm. And then once I was terminated, that is when the complaint started against the employer. 
because I was terminated during the COSA. And that's reprisal. So, yeah. okay. I got that. Okay. So, so you feel that the employer, when you were just, uh, when the allegations were just against your coworkers was acting defensive. Yes, I do. Um, mm. They were very, um, this is how it is. You know, they weren't listening. I was asking about my employment. I was asking about what's next. I was, I didn't ask to be switched shift. Um, I was actually told that I did ask and I never did. So like, these are the things that they made decisions that they said, you did this, you chose this, you reported this, this is what you chose. So, so it's based, oh, wow. So you, because you came forward with the allegations, you're the one who has to alter your life to suit them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, having dealt with, I mean, like the people who hire me are usually employers, right? So they they have a complaint that needs to be investigated. They call me. A lot of them are on the defensive and I, I see where they're coming from. I'm not playing. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's okay, but it's a fear of what are they, uh, what's their liability? Are they going to get sued? How do I like mm-hmm. get this to go quiet? How do I, you know, push this under the, sweep this under the rug? What I like to tell them is you want the truth. You want this okay. to come out because it's happening in your workplace. And if you just try to cover it up and get all defensive, you're never going to heal. And it's always going to be an issue. So what a beautiful opportunity this is right here, right now to uncover this and find out what's really going on. So you can actually get true healing. So it's definitely a conversation I've had many a time. So thank you for bringing it up in that the employer's first response is usually defensiveness. And that's not where you want to be. You really want to be in a place of I'm standing for a safe, psychological, a psychologically safe work environment. Somebody has come forward, not feeling safe. My responsibility is to create that safe work environment. What's our next steps? What do we need to do to make this happen? So does that make sense? Yes. 100%. I, that, that was exactly my experience. Um, I was, when I asked what had been done after the assault happened, I was told that I accepted an apology from the individual and that that was the resolution. And there was some, something in there that they, you know, that they thought that that was end all be all right. And I was, I made it very clear that I was not, just satisfied with an apology. I do think that there needs to be some education and training and, and that sort of thing. At that point, I wasn't terminated. It wasn't until the third allegation that I I got terminated after that one. So at that point, I was still willing to work with the employer on creating a safer workplace, um, especially for the vulnerable worker that I was as the lone female on the crew. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So was there an apology? Did you accept an apology? There was an apology. Yes, uh-huh. I accepted the apology. Um, okay. But there was there was no indication that that was the conclusion until the until the third allegation came up. Wow. Okay. So they thought, oh, he this person apologized, so everything's okay. Great. Phew, we're off the hook. Is kind of what they thought. Exactly. Woo. Exactly. And you know, um, that's becoming very clear now that 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 should not have happened. That should not have been the avenue that employers take. Employers should definitely fully investigate these matters and, you know, mediate or, or go, go whatever distance they need to go um, in a, in a fair manner. And I was not treated fairly there because I didn't even know the conclusion. (laughs) I had no idea that they had concluded this. 
Wow. Okay. So communication, also huge, huge, huge key. Please keep the lens communication open. I mean, I'm always telling, I mean, the bare minimum is that both the complainant, whether there's one or two, whoever, however many, the complainants and the respondents all need to know the outcome of the investigation. And if harassment was found, what measures are being done to rectify the situation? That's like the bare minimum. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what else, what else can employers learn from your case? Um, Yeah. And employers really should make sure that there is support, you know, support for all, all parties. But at the end of the day, I, I was not supported to any extent as the complainant uh, because I mean, first of all, I was terminated during the process. So at that point, they thought they were off the hook, right? And th- th- that doesn't change that, you know, that was, a, that, was a, that was wrong right there to terminate me. But that doesn't change that I still need to be offered support. I still need to be given um, the opportunity to heal. And mm-hmm. it's in legislation that you need to support complainants mm-hmm. and, uh, of workplace misconduct. And so that was my experience and there was no support and even less because I was unionized. So what, what kind of support would you like to have seen? What would have helped? Um, I, I'm now responsible for funding my own therapy um, from trauma. That was that I endured in my workplace that I no longer work at. Um, I was not provided with a safe workplace which is what I had intended for when I reported these incidents. Mm -hmm. So I want, I I think it's important that the type of the, the type of the, the type of support does depend on the situation, but Mm -hmm. I think therapy is huge. I think therapy should be number one. What can we offer you? Here's the, the family assistance program, or I know a lot of employers have those kinds of programs, but that wasn't offered. And now I'm left to fund my own therapy and my own legal system. And I was, I was forced to do things during this process that I should have had union advice on. And I, I didn't have that. And they weren't willing to, to accommodate me at all and, and delay things or, you know, work with mm-hmm. me on getting this process done in, in a trauma friendly way. <laughs> I guess. It, it's thank you for bringing all this up because when I'm in the process of investigations, one of the things I ask is what kind of support can you offer? Not just the complainant, but also the respondents. Cause it can be very stressful being a respondent as well of mm-hmm. um, I've been accused of something. They usually have no idea what they're being accused of. And so it can also be stressful. Witnesses can be stressed as well. So I'm always asking employers, what kind of supports do you have? Do you have an EAP an employee assistance program? Do you have counseling that they can take advantage of those sorts of things, which it's just, again, that just adds more to that psychological safety. And so if you feel like your employer is supporting you through the process, you can still offer support and that doesn't bias you, right? It's not like offer the support to everybody involved, not just the complainant or not just the respondent so that there is no bias there. And it's like, we're here to support everybody. We want to find out what's really going on. Let's get to the truth of the matter, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And I think another big part that I experienced was what, what support could look like to me now, two years later is mediation. Um, because this should be something that the employer wants to settle, 
You know what I mean? There should be some cooperation and some impartial learning here that happens because I think we can all learn something from this, but I do think it's only fair to settle this in a way that is um, cooperative and and global, really. I mean, there's so many people involved in my case and moving parts. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I really do feel that that at this point, is a piece of support that I actually need. And I'm not, not being offered that at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So clearly a commitment from employers of providing whatever's needed to get to a place of psychological safety again, um, would be like kind of a bare minimum. So, um, wow. Okay. So let's recap again. What are our three points? So, uh, Definitely trauma-informed process and investigators so they, they understand the, the process. Um, as an employer, don't be defensive. It's, I know it's a first instinct to be defensive and, uh-oh, what are we liable for and how much trouble are we in? Um, but it's really important to stay unbiased and to um, be impartial and to, um, yeah. And, the, and then the third one is offer support the whole way through the investigation, for sure, to all parties. Um, anything else, any other tidbits of information you could add that you've learned from your, from your experience? Um, yeah, I, I think in my case, this is quite heavily the fact that I'm a, I'm a woman in a man in, in a male dominated field. Um, so that actually, it, it is a big part of my case, um, and I think that there are a lot of employers out there that do have those types of dynamics. And so I really think it's important to just focus on what is and isn't, what is and isn't respectful in workplaces, regardless. Yeah. Um, you know, for, in my experience, the norm for how women have been, have been treated in male dominated workplaces is that they're one of the guys, you know, I definitely see that sometimes as a, as one of the biggest compliments you can receive. However, the other side of that is from my experience that now it's okay to get closer, to start doing things that are, you know, kind of going the extra, extra. That cross the line. At you, you know, yeah. crossing the line, crossing mm-hmm. the line. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where we just need to, have training in place and, and build cultures that are just respectful no matter what. And I think that, you know, being on good terms with my male coworkers, it, you know, there's still some work there to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's my experience with the workplaces that I've been a part of. And this is very, very um, common in federal, provincial Whatever workplace, you know, whatever mm-hmm. level of workplace you're at, I think the environment is key. It's so key. And I think what you're, you're hitting on here, too, is that one training a year that's done online is not going to cut it, <laughs> right? Like if you've got a male-dominated profession and there's one or two females mm-hmm. that are working on your crew, those one or two females, and it could be, the, it could be any issue. It doesn't necessarily need to be gender or sex. It could be like 
you know, racial discrimination or anything like that. It can't just be a one-off training. It has to be a living, breathing part of your culture, part of your organization of what's okay, what's not okay. Have those tough conversations, have like things pointed out in meetings of what's okay, what's not okay. Don't cross this line. This isn't okay. Are you feeling safe? Having those conversations of how do we make you feel safer as you as the minority? How can I have, how, what can we do to make you feel safer here? 100%. 100%. It's it's a collective effort, for sure. Yeah. I think employers, at the end of the day, do have the obligation to have safe workplaces. But mm-hmm. I think it's just as equally important to spend the, the money and invest in training for the employees and, and hold them accountable. I mean, yeah. I should have, you know, I was sexually harassed by my supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I don't think that it should have gotten to that point had the first two incidents been formally dealt with. So mm-hmm. you tell people to report, you tell people to report and we do, and we, there's fear, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's fear because of the assassination basically that happens after mm-hmm. these incidents, after reporting. So mm-hmm. I think we just need to embrace our voices, embrace the voice that your employees have to create safer workplaces without ridiculing them. And even though it's an obligation by law now, it affects your bottom line. Like guys, this is affecting your bottom line. Like the Mm -hmm. number one indicator of effective teams is psychological safety. So hello, Mm -hmm. let's deal with it. Let's get it out in the open. Erin, thank you so, so much. I know there's so much we missed about your case and there's so much more we could go into. I really want to acknowledge your courage for coming forward. It's not easy to say I'm a complainant in a sexual harassment case and come (laughs) forward and talk about it. So really, thank you. I really feel your commitment to making sure this doesn't happen to other people. Um, So thank you for being that person. Thank you for coming on our show and um, telling us your point of view and to see the impact it's had on complainants because it's a huge impact on complainants when there are allegations that have happened and then it's not dealt with appropriately. So um, I hope I would like to say you're the last case that this ever happens to. <laughs> we both know differently, but hopefully yeah. it'll be a little bit less now that you've been here and we've started the conversation. So thank you so much for being here today, Erin. Thank you so much, April. It's, it's been an honor. I appreciate it. And you're, thank you for doing what you do. You're so welcome. Maybe we'll have a follow-up when the, the cases are all settled and the dust is all settled and find out what the outcome was way down the road. So again, thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, so to our listeners, thank you again for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this, uh, this episode, please. If you are finding any value in these podcasts, will you please help me in return by giving me a rate and review and subscribe? That is like gold to podcasters. So if you can rate review and subscribe, that's how the rest of the world will find out more. And this conversation will get bigger and more people will hear it. And, uh, hopefully we'll all help create workplaces that work for everyone. Again, I'm April Trow. I'm your host. Thank you for listening to the harassment free workplace podcast thank you for joining us for the harassment free workplace podcast subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode and please spread the word feel free to send us feedback questions and suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear from we'd love to hear from you for more information on workplace investigations and assessments, please visit www.harassmentfreeworkplace.com. Till next time.